Fans of the Dynasty Invest podcast, if you feel like there was one particular episode in the back catalogue in the anthology of Dynasty Invest podcast episodes that really, really, really was massively valuable to you, feel free to share that with a fellow dental colleague who's in a similar position so their understanding of finance can be elevated and they can hit the next level of financial success in their life. Also, as well as that, if you could take two seconds to rate and review this podcast, it would mean the world to me. What that would mean is that it drives this podcast further in terms of reach so that more dentists across the world can be able to benefit from the knowledge contained therein. Welcome. Welcome. Welcome to the Dentists Who Invest podcast. Welcome back, everyone, to a very, 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 very special episode of Dentists Who Invest today. Every episode is special, but this one particularly so for a few reasons. And the first reason that it's very special is because this is the premiere inaugural episode of Dentists Who Invest official side gigs month, the month where we get every dentist to think about how can they improve and enhance their life by potentially getting a side hustle up and running because I have been someone and like like many of the listeners and many of the dentists that I've come out with that I've met through the group or those relationships that have come about through creating the group. We there is a sort of undercurrent of dentists that have side hustles and they are such an important thing in this day and age. I did an episode with Jazz Galati not so long ago and he made a really, really, really good point that you can be the best dentist in the world. You have one spurious complaint. You have one patient who decides they really, really, really want to take you down and they can make your life hell. And the peace of mind that comes along with having something else on the side is absolutely magnificent. That was That really struck a chord with me and that was even before I had created my side hustle or my or Dentist Who Invest way back when, before that, but it made me, it took on a whole new dimension of importance to me when I heard Jazz say those words. So that was super, super, super interesting. Hopefully that resonated with a few people today. And I have sat here in front of me, a poster boy. I, that's not his words, that's my words, okay? A poster boy, because he is a very attractive, handsome man. We'll say that for a start, that's the first thing. And the second thing is he's a poster boy for the side hustle world because he is TV's own, as of a few months ago, Simon Chart. Simon, how are you? What an intro. That's very, very kind of you. Thank you having me on. <laughs> awesome, awesome, awesome. So yeah, like I say, Simon is... A little bit of a poster boy, in my opinion, for the side hustle world. I thought to myself, what an amazing way to kick off side gigs month, side hustles month, with a man who's got a very prominent side hustle that made it onto TV, no less, Dragon's Den, not so long ago, and that being Parlour Toothpaste. And the reason I think this is going to be a wonderful episode is because I want to talk, I want to flesh out what it's like to meet the dragon, Simon, and I'm hoping you can <laughs> give me some insight on that. That's going to be... Super, super, super interesting. And also just getting that balance as well, because I feel like balance and time is a thing that holds a lot of people back from pursuing their side hustle. What are your thoughts on that, Simon? Well, I think I think we're very fortunate as dentists, uh, and especially if you run your own clinic where you are your own boss of your own time, that you can you can taper down your days as your side hustle increases in significance and, and activity and I think that's that shouldn't be taken for granted I, I have lots of family and friends who are bankers or in property uh, or uh, lawyers and they can't just reduce their days as their side hustle increases so they're forced into working before work after work uh, which I certainly do a lot of as well but I, I do think as dentists we've got that great opportunity mm. 
one thing we were talking about just before we went on air, Simon and I, we were talking about the importance of striking balance as well and ring fencing time for relationships, family, et cetera, et cetera, health. Uh, because it's very, there's an entrepreneurial streak in a certain sort of maybe a, a type A personality individual that compromises on those things. And striking that balance is something that comes through practice, shall we say. Simon, for anybody out there who's listening, who doesn't perhaps know that much about you, would you be able to do a little bit of an intro about yourself, your journey into dentistry, and then we'll come on to parlor toothpaste because I'm sure everybody's very intrigued to learn about how that got up and running and where it's going as well because you told me off camera as well that things have, uh, well, things are on an upward tangent now, uh, especially after your Dragon's Den appearance. So we're going to delve into that very shortly. But just a little bit about yourself first would be super interesting. Yeah, sure. So um, I'm a cosmetic and implant dentist, I guess I would describe myself as. Uh, I run a seven surgery multidisciplinary practice with my wife, uh, Megan, which is Roti Lodge Dental. Um, I'm the vice president of the British Academy of Cosmetic Dentistry. Um, I'm very, very passionate about dentistry. I love what I do. Um, and I feel very fortunate to be able to do it. Uh, and as obviously you mentioned, I'm also co-founder of, of Parlour Toothpaste Tabs, uh, which is our eco-friendly toothpaste solution. Um, my journey into dentistry, I mean, I, I'm a graduate student, so I did a degree before I did dentistry. Uh, which is quite surprising given that both of my parents are dentists, um, but I actually didn't think I wanted to go into dentistry. Uh, ended up doing pharmacology, of all things, down in Bristol. Had a great time, did a lot of partying, um, but pharmacology and being in a lab definitely wasn't for me. So anyway, I got my 2-1, that got me into fast track at King's, and uh, and then the rest is history, really. I really just became obsessed with dentistry at that point, um, I think because I was a graduate student and all my mates were working in the city and that sort of thing, um, I kind of viewed it more as a job than a lot of the undergrads that I was alongside. And so, again, as, as we were saying off camera before, very much became a yes man, took on every opportunity presented to me, went for every award, went for every essay prize, uh, went for every sort of opportunity to differentiate myself and to, to grow my, uh, my skill set uh, in the craft. And um, very fortunately came across through dentaltown.com at that time. Facebook uh, dental groups didn't exist then. Um, this was sort of... Well, yeah, what era was this? Was this circa... 2009, 2010. Oh, okay. yeah, fair enough, yeah. Um, so I qualified 2012. And uh, so, yeah, fell across uh, Dentaltown. That introduced me to cosmetic dentistry and then fell across Tiff Qureshi, uh, who was on there talking about Align Bleach and Bond way before anyone knew about it. Jason Smithson on there doing amazing resin work and, uh, yeah, reached out to them and Tiff came down and did a lecture and I got involved with the BACD. And, and as I say, that was sort of where it snowballed from there. And been le- I do a lot of lecturing. I lecture on digital dentistry. I lecture on photography. More recently, I lecture on mental health in dentistry because that's a really, really important topic to me. Uh, and one that I think needs a spotlight shining on it on the podium so that it, it reaches as many people as possible. And people like Invisalign have been really good at supporting me with um, promoting that topic. Um, yeah, preach, man. That, that's yes. true. It's a, that's, that's a huge thing. Yeah, man. That's really uh, commendable work. Commendable work. Well, it, it, it's such a, I mean, honestly, uh, uh, and the reason why I got so into it is anytime I would talk about mental health on my 
and my Instagram, um, the feedback that I would get from people in my DMs was just ridiculous. I would have so many messages from people saying, thanks so much for talking about that. I, I've struggled with anxiety. I, I'm, I've talked about that uh, quite a lot on my social media. Um, nothing se- really severe, but pretty severe at sometimes personally, but nothing medicated or, or professionally diagnosed or anything of that sort. Um, but uh, your point about what Jazz said uh, in the previous podcast episode, that really hits home to me as well. Definitely, like, man, doesn't it? That's one of the things that I am most fearful of and almost taints all of the fun and joy and positivity that I get from dentistry is the knowledge that I can do everything right, try my absolute best for my patients, which I always endeavour to do. And yet someone, if they don't like the, the cut of your jib, as they say, um, can, can completely wreck your career. And I've seen it with amazing dentists who are some of the best dentists in the country getting GDC cases against. And it's like, well, I know this guy. I know ethically what he's about. And I know clinically that he's insane. He's definitely not the cowboy that you should be after. <laughs> it's so on. And do you know what? Sometimes it's the patients that you really, really know that realistically you couldn't have done any better for that make yeah. those flippant throwaway comments to reception uh, about something that they perceive to be negative or wrong when really you've done everything that you can and you've actually done them a favor. Those are the yeah. ones that hurt the most. Luckily, with those ones, at least it doesn't become so spurious in that it's a potential GDC case and things like that. Touchwood has never happened to me. You know, those are few and far between. But yeah, like I say, they hurt the most. And yeah, it only it really does only take that that one patient to really decide they don't like you. And it, it's really unfair sometimes because some of the the dentists that I've yeah, as you, just as you said just then, that have been persecuted, I suppose, because of this unbelievable unbelievable clinicians they're the ones that take on the fancier work as well and sometimes they leave the door open a little bit more too particularly when they're charging what they do but anyway probably probably a podcast for another day but commendable work on the uh the mental health front and dentistry and I, i actually think it's massively positive that you can talk so candidly about anxiety and things like that i think there needs to be more of that simon so yeah nice one on that buddy i really like that cool so well, Simon, I think just, just just very briefly on that point, I think it's important to understand that when you put yourself out there, as I have done throughout my whole career, just through the nature of social media, I built quite a large profile very early on in my career. Uh, when you put yourself out there like that, you you become very susceptible to uh, critique, shall we say, from people within the, <laughs> good choice from people within the within the profession who are more experienced than you are, and I think. It's really important for everyone to be aware of the fact that actually the way in which that, that we communicate with each other, especially on social media within the profession, needs to be better. Like there needs to be the, the sort of fighting that you see over treatment plans and stuff is just mental. Like if we can't support each other in our endeavours, then how do we expect patients to be able to support us? Simon, do you know what? I'm listening to you speak and I'm thinking to myself, there's probably another, there's probably some content for a really good podcast between us at some point on that specific subject. I really do think so, because maybe that's something that I have not really heard on, on a platform before. And maybe that's something worth talking about. Absolutely, man. But yeah, but for, um, yeah, well, before, before we get on a tangent too much, as much as I'm enjoying this, it was great to hear about your journey your journey into dentistry and your journey through dentistry and where you've got to so far and congratulations on all your success. And just when you thought, you thought to yourself, 
Haven't I got enough on my plate? Then you thought to yourself, do you know what I need? I need a national toothpaste brand, of course. (laughs) Was that the evolution (laughs) of the thought process? Not at all, not at all. I mean, I think the problem that I have is that I'm, I'm quite a visceral, passionate individual. And when something gets under my skin... I can't, I can't not do it. This happened recently with the, the podcast that I launched, uh, Once More Change. I, Megan was like, "Sorry, are you joking? Why are you doing more? Like, you've already got parlor, you've already got your, the practice, BACD. You don't need any more stuff. Like, we're about to have another kid. And, and she was like, and I was like, I know, but I know I can do this. And I, and I, I can't not do it. I can't listen to podcasts every day and not launch one. So it was kind of the same with Parler um, in that... I could see the problem in front of me um, and I felt that I could resolve it. And if I can see the solution to a problem, then I have, I have to do it. Um, and as I said to you off camera before we started, I certainly didn't expect it to grow to the level that it has done um, so quickly. But it's been honestly one of the most rewarding and enjoyable journeys. Also one of the hardest things I've ever done. Many a tear shed over, over things going awry. Um, and I think being a startup founder is, is probably one of the hardest things you can do um, with regards to sort of fighting fires every day. But it is, um, yeah, it's, it's been amazing. It has been really amazing. Blood, sweat and tears, no doubt. And you know what, when you were talking about passion earlier, listening to, who was I listening to? I think it was Gary V the other day. He was talking about how passion is a transferable skill. Okay. When you have the passion, that's the core essence. That's the flame that burns irresistibly inside you you can channel that into different things as many things as you like and you know you're always going to be successful because you've got the p word because you've got passion yeah parla let's talk about parla i know that it's you're going to have to forgive me if i'm going to if i'm about to butcher this description of parla toothpaste but what from what i'm aware it's it's a little bit different from your average toothpaste because it's not a tube it's not a it's not a paste it's not even a paste is it it's a tablet and then you mix it in some water and it's made from Holistic things, have I got that correct? Real quick, guys, I've put together a special report for dentists entitled The Seven Costly and Potentially Disastrous Mistakes That Dentists Make Whenever It Comes to Their Finances. Most of the time, dentists are going through these issues and they don't even necessarily realize that they're happening until they have their eyes opened. And that is the purpose of this report. You can go ahead and receive your free report by heading on over to www.dentistuinvest.com forward slash podcast report, or alternatively, you can download it using the link in the description. This report details these seven most common issues. However, most importantly, it also shows you how to fix them. I'm really looking forward to hearing your thoughts. Uh, kind of, but not really. I'll, 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 give, I'll, give, you the, I'll give you the full, the full pitch. Uh, I just wonder if I have any here. But, um, so it's... Um, it's basically toothpaste tablets. So it's dehydrated toothpaste in a tablet form. Um, so the water, toothpaste is made of around 30 to 40% water, uh, which already is a bad idea because it means you're shipping water all over the world, which is not good for the environment. But um, the main core concept behind the brand is we wanted to use our experience and knowledge as cosmetic dentists. So this is myself, Dr. Rona Eskander, and Dr. Adar Stanky. Um, but we wanted to come at it from an ethical and sustainable point of view. So billions of toothpaste tubes go into landfill in the ocean each year. Um, Every single toothpaste tube that you use 
lasts for 500 years on the planet. So it's single use because it's made of different types of plastic and because everything has to be spotlessly clean before it can be recycled. You can't recycle 99% of toothpaste tubes. There you go, didn't know that. So that means that every tube that anyone's ever used still exists somewhere on this planet. Every single tube that you've thrown in the bin still exists somewhere on the planet. So that is clearly not a sustainable model to last us forever. Uh, We have a finite space and we have an increasing population. So we went about trying to find a way to resolve that issue uh, in in a way that would protect mainly the ocean. I love the ocean. If I'm in it, if I'm on it, if I'm by it, that's where I'm happiest. And when I heard that by 2050, there's going to be more plastic in the ocean than fish, what that really struck me with was well in 2050 my daughter's going to be my age and is she going to be swimming in the mediterranean just surrounded by rubbish um unable to eat any fish because the ecosystem's been completely wrecked or actually can i make my small change and make my small impact within my profession to to make a difference there um so, yes, yeah, so we went about trying to find the, the best way to resolve it. There are certain companies using uh, recyclable plastic toothpaste tubes. That doesn't really solve the problem because all you're doing, uh, that plastic can only be, re- first, it needs to be cut up, the tip needs to be cut off, needs to be washed out. Only one in five people actually recycle anything out of the bathroom to start with. But then even if it does make its way to the recycling plant, the recycling people won't realise it's a recyclable tube, so they'll just throw it in landfill. And even if it gets past them, it can only be recycled two or three times and then it ends up in landfill anyway because it's not infinitely recyclable. So all you're doing is delaying the problem for the next generation. It seems like a good idea on paper, but actually practically it doesn't work. Same thing goes for the aluminium tubes. Um, they need to be cut, washed out. It's unlikely that they'll make it into, um, into recycling, but they are infinitely recyclable, so they're slightly better. But what we wanted was a closed loop system where actually you had a refillable vessel um, which meant that there was no waste. Um, so our toothpaste tablets come in glass jars with an aluminium lid. I think I've got one here. Give me two sets. Oh, brilliant. Yeah, I'd love to see it. Uh, so here, this is an empty one. Um, but this is, the, this is the jar. This is our original. Uh, and it comes in, in one of these boxes. So this is the, the retail unit. So this is the, the single month supply. And then we have a subscription as well, which is um, the main base. And um, basically the jar comes out. You use your tablets, you pop them in your mouth, chew them for five to 10 seconds, bring a wet brush into the mouth. And then when you brush your teeth as normal, the agitation of the, uh, the crumbled paste, turn, uh, the crumbled sort of tablet turns into a paste in the mouth. And that's where you just crack on as normal. So uh, that's how it's used. And then the beauty of it is every four months, because it's on uh, subscription, every four months your refill pack comes out in a compostable plant-based bag it comes through the letterbox. You then simply just refill your jar and that bag can be either thrown in the compost bin or even if it's thrown into the regular bin, it's just going to compost down into, uh, in essence, nutrients that are going to feed plants anyway. So it doesn't cause any damage to anything. Um, so yeah, that's, that's the concept really. Uh, and with regards to the ingredient deck, um, something that we were really, really passionate about, we have our own sort of bespoke ingredient deck that we've been working on and refining for the last couple of years um key things in there that dentists will appreciate number one obviously it contains fluoride 
the large majority of, of eco green natural toothpaste don't contain fluoride, uh, which obviously for us as dentists was unacceptable um, because we know the impact that fluoride has. Uh, and we know how we feel when a patient comes in and says, I'm using this toothpaste. It's natural, but it doesn't contain fluoride. And you're like, oh, well, we're going to have wall-to-wall cavities here then. <laughs> um, so we knew it had to contain fluoride. Um, but things that we've chosen to remove, uh, any animal cruelty, most toothpaste, because they sell in China, have to test their products on animals. Uh, no animal products. So we've kept it vegan, which we know is, is a, a growing um, sector of the population. Um, baffles me that there needed to be any animal products in toothpaste anyway. Um, and then primarily, which is one the dentist would really appreciate, is SLS-free. So we've all had those patients that come in and say, I've got a really sore mouth, I can't have anything spicy, uh, especially if they've had uh, chemo or radio or anything of that sort. Um, and uh, the moment you take them off an SLS-based toothpaste, they think you're a miracle worker. They can actually have a decent quality of life again. Um, so we removed the SLS for that reason, but also because SLS is made from palm oil, which has a dramatically devastating effect on the uh, rainforest, causes 8 to 9% of the deforestation across the world, uh, the palm oil industry. So that was the other, the other reason that we, uh, that we removed that. So, yeah, we've tried. We, all those flavorings are, are natural, um, are like preservative-free, no artificial flavoring, anything of that sort. Uh, so we tried to keep it as natural and clean and ethical as possible but whilst also maintaining the efficacy that we require for it to be a proper product that we can support in essence. You've really thought about every single thing, every single ingredient in your toothpaste and how you can make it eco-friendly. Is this uh, chewable toothpaste, is that even precedented? I've never heard of that before. Yeah, it, it existed already. Uh, we didn't invent um, the toothpaste tablet, yeah. um, but the problem was all the brands that were around, certainly when we created the product, they were all non-dentist-led, eco-focused, uh, and I say these sort of natural toothpaste, which I would never recommend for my patients, and nor would 99% of dentists. So if dent, and, and I've seen this in my own clinic, funnily enough, a patient came in a couple of months ago, saw one of my associates, um, told him that they were using this new toothpaste tablet called and my associate was like, Paula? And she was like, yeah, yeah, is it any good? Is it okay if I use it? And my associate, Harry, was like, you do realise that the owner of this practice also owns Paula? <laughs> and she was like, are you joking? <laughs> so the reason why that story really hit home for me is that that's, what, that's how the conversation goes. When a patient uses a new toothpaste, they want, or any new dental product, they want to know from their dentist or their hygienist that actually what they're using is going to be good for their teeth and not going to lead to them having more dental problems. And if someone had walked into me two years ago and said, I'm using the toothpaste tablets, first question I would have asked is, does it contain fluoride? Um, and at that time, none of them did. So we wanted to bring in that dentist-focused efficacy, science-based, evidence-backed, um, whilst at the same time not just using cheap uh oftentimes unethical ingredients housed in unsustainable packaging, which is 99% of the market still today. So uh, that's the driver. And uh, obviously since then, we've had a lot of copycat brands come through. Um, really? You've got that level already? People, hey, com copying is the highest form of flattery, they say. But wow, already you've reached that point. Oh, we've had that for, yeah, for like a year, to be honest with you. Really? Uh, I mean, literally down to using the same wording, 
Uh, we have this. Um, we spent a lot of time on the on the on the packaging and the marketing, and we have this uh, design by dentist to be you and the planet uh, strapline and logo. And uh, I mean, it almost replicated identically this. Um, uh, but I mean, it is what it is. As you say, it's um, we'll take it with a, a light-hearted humour yeah. and carry on doing what we're doing. But um, it's I mean, it's good to be honest. It's good to see the sector growing. Um, we think it's the future of toothpaste. We think that everyone will be using tablets. And funnily enough, most people, even dentists, don't realise that it hasn't always been a paste. It, it used to be a powder before Colgate stuck it in a tube and added water to it and made a gel like that. We, that people used to use tooth powder before they used the gel. So it doesn't, um, it doesn't need to be in that format for it to be effective. I think is the important thing to understand. Curious thing that a patient once gave me, it was some dentrifice. Okay. Dentrifice uh, as in the progenitor, the toothpaste. And it was from the 1920s and it was like a bar of soap and you kind of just yeah. wet it and yeah. you scraped it off. I've still yeah. got it upstairs. Now I don't know, if it all maybe over time it's kind of it's like a little out of date or stale or something but it's got the texture of soap i've never used it uh so <laughs> i don't know <laughs> but i've got i've kind of got like this little shrine to dentistry in my room it's like really nice preps and stuff that i've just got in the corner and that's got pride of place in there but it was a very curious gift and yeah that was way back when 1920 i think it's circa 1920s i don't know where i got it from but it's like a dentifrice and a bar of soap simon you were saying as well that since Dragon's Den, or perhaps even prior to Dragon's Den, Paul has been enjoying some great success, as evidenced by its many copycats. How is that growing through time? Or where where are we at at the minute? How is business? How is progress? Yes, I mean we've we've grown we've grown uh, at, at a good rate over the first year. Um, and when we filmed Dragon's Den, that was September last year, so um, quite a long time ago now. Um, and the rate of growth direct to consumer has been wonderful. Uh, the rate of growth of dentists buying Parlet into their clinics has been great. Uh, I guess the big thing from last year was that we got into um, we got onto Boots uh, online, uh, which Congrats. is great. Uh, nice to have sort of that, that credibility. Uh, we were on ITV this morning, so Holly and Phil uh, tried our tablets live on air. No last- way! Were you there? Uh, no, it was mid-pandemic, obviously. Oh. So um, I was in my clinic uh, watching it live, and um, yeah, it was uh, it was a surreal, surreal experience to see this little jar uh, like on ITV, and then Phil like just like pop one in and just like chewed it and swallowed it. Um, <laughs> and, uh, yeah, they, they were really he didn't positive. quite get the point, did he? Yeah, but I mean, funnily enough. And luckily enough, um, the Dragon's Den researcher who eventually reached out to us was watching that this morning episode. Um, so she saw that uh, and then I was do- actually doing a virtual consult with a patient in the clinic. Uh, this was in sort of August, I think. And um, this uh, email popped up as it does on the Mac, like on the side of the screen saying from Dragon's Den. And obviously my attention was just immediately drawn to the corner. So I finished the, finished the virtual and uh, yeah, they reached out and said, we, we want you to come on the show. Um, and there was, uh, yeah, there was a lot of hoops to jump to, uh, to get actually onto the show. And, and they literally send you an email at every stage, even right up until like two weeks before the show was going live in April, 
you may not make it onto the show. You may not make it on TV. So you, you never know if all the hard work is going to be for nothing. But yeah, in the end, and I'm sure we'll get onto Dragon's Den later on, but in, in the end, we had a really nice sort of steady growth over the first year. And then once that, since that Dragon's Den episode has gone live, we did like four month sales in about three days. Like it was literally insane. Like the, I, I was, I, on, uh, when you have an e-com store, you have a Shopify app on your phone. And I was watching the Shopify app as the show went live. As, the, as our segment finished, I looked at my phone and we'd done like literally a month's worth of sales by the time the episode had finished air. Like by, the time, by the time our segment had finished, we'd done a month of sales. And I literally had to be like, is this thing broken? Like, is that the number <laughs> of viewers? Like, and it's like, no, that's the amount of money that you've, that you've or the amount of uh, trade that you've just done um so yeah that was wild and uh since then it, it we obviously had a huge speak uh the spike peak and then since then we've just been we've just come to a resting level like three times higher than we were before the show so it's really good and yeah i i, I did announce this on my linkedin it's not massively um well known but we're we're going to sainsbury's um at the end of the year uh uh in store uh so that's really exciting as well that um, is really exciting, man. It's really going places. Yeah. Yeah, awesome. Uh, where is where is dentistry fit in and how long does dentistry... Will dentistry always have some time ring-fenced somewhere in your life? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, I, look, I've struggled certainly over the last couple of... Since, since Parlour launched, well, always, to be honest, I've always been doing BACD, lecturing, dentistry, trying to balance things out with social life and uh exercise and doing all the stuff that i love to do um and that's been even harder with parlor because it's just been such an aggressive learning curve on just learning everything like i've never pitched to a retailer before i've never pitched dragons on live tv before i've never like created packaging and like every element needs to be eco every element needs to be at a cost that means that we can make margin like ingredients go missing packaging like cardboard amazon buys all the cardboard in the country and there's none left like (laughs) those sort of issues are real issues when you're trying to run a startup and you're trying to do your regular life of of running a 27 person practice and like doing your dentistry and and all the rest of it so yeah it's been tough um in answer to your question around will dentistry always have a place for me i struggle to see a time where i wouldn't be a dentist anymore um I certainly uh, would imagine that as Parlour grows, my uh, my days in the clinic will probably have to reduce a little bit. Um, so I'm currently working uh, three and a half days in the clinic a week. Uh, and then the, all the other time is, is dedicated to Parlour, really. Um, and as the business grows, I'll probably have to taper that down maybe to, to two or three. But I think the credibility of actually still being a wet-fingered dentist uh, gives me um, more sort of... I'm at the coalface with the patients, talking about the product, talking about the the difficulties of, dent- of oral health and that sort of thing. So I think it, it puts me in a stronger position to do better in parlour if I do still maintain the dental side of things. Awesome. Awesome. Time management is a massive thing, particularly in the world of being an entrepreneur. Do you have any seminal moments or lessons that you can pass on to anybody out there who's listening, who is curious to become better at time management or curious to understand what that day-to-day routine looks like for someone who is starting a side gig. Because for me, 
it's you have to be so regimented and strict with your time and the morning routine for me is so so important to starting the day off on a right foot and i know that that's a common theme amongst people who have their own side hustles and side businesses how what are those what are your top tips tips or techniques on that front simon yeah i mean i'm obsessed with optimization of my time to give me maximum output and also probably most importantly but then circles back optimizing my health and my physiological state so that i can perform at the maximum level in everything that i'm doing um and i've done a lot a lot of research um and i'm actually even honing this with a, a productivity coach at the moment to go even further with it um to try and really maximize my output um but yeah, I'm obsessed with it. I mean, my morning routine, uh, I've spoken about this on my podcast and um, and uh, I, it's on my social media most days, but the, the seminal thing for me, the key anchor in every day, every morning is exercise. Exercise every day without fail. Uh, do something that makes you sweat is my general rule for life now. Uh, and that's come in in the last probably... Every day has happened probably since the pandemic, I think. Uh, I used to exercise like three times a week, liked going to the gym, liked going for a run. Like it, was, it was sort of a nice to have. But since the pandemic, I was like, right, I need this every day. And actually the impact that it has on my mental health is insane. It is the most powerful thing that I've done. And it just, it just means that I, I genuinely go to bed at night and look forward to my morning routine because I'll, I'll run it through with you because I think people like to know the nitty gritty details. I wake up at 4.45 uh, every work day. So I woke up at 4.45 this morning, even though I went out for dinner last night and had a few glasses of wine. Uh, so I didn't feel great this morning, but I, I, I make sure that I wake up at 4.45 every weekday. And then on the weekend, I'll normally wake up at 5.45 and just give myself a little bit of extra breathing room there. Uh, I wake up, I, I hit my, uh, actually, I, when I wake up, I, I down a litre of water because we're dehydrated when we wake up. I then do a gratitude practice, uh, which is just simply saying, as soon as my feet touch the ground, I, I just, in my head, say one thing that I'm grateful for, um, which I think is a really powerful way to- I love that, uh, man. Never heard that I, before. I love that. Yeah, it sounds a bit hippie, but I, I find it to be really, really powerful and it just refocuses the mind Um Gratitude, accountability, and perspective are things that I think are really, really important. Um, so I then uh, hit my emails and do some parlor work for about 45 minutes um, to just try and clear as much of my to-dos for that day as I can do. Um, I used to do my meditation in the morning. I now tend to do it at lunchtime uh, instead, uh, just because I'm a bit short on time with two kids. Um, and then I go downstairs. Uh, I've got a Peloton, as anyone who follows me on Instagram will know, because I post about it every day. Um, that thing is addictive. Um, but Peloton's brilliant for just smashing out real high intensity, 300, 400 calories, like get your heart rate going. Um, so I, I work out a mixture of cardio and strength training um, for about an hour. Uh, and then that's my morning routine done, that I'm, that I'm getting dressed get to the practice for about eight, first patient at 8.15, uh, and off we go. And I think the only other point that I would raise on the routine side of things is um, 
getting meditation in at another time of the day is the other like it's like the thing just below exercise for me with regards to uh upside uh versus like cost benefit analysis i think it's the best if we're talking about investment um so uh cost benefit analysis meditation is ridiculous it is so powerful uh, and and it's based in science as well there's so many studies now to show that actually meditation can be is is obviously incredibly powerful for mental health as proven by science but it's also incredibly powerful for physical health as well and they've shown some really interesting studies around that do you know i'm listening to you talk and i know we said this earlier but i honestly think there's probably another podcast worth of content in there on morning routine life work balance the struggles of an entrepreneur and getting it correct i i i, I do think that that's a podcast for another day i really do but that's that's tremendous and uh yeah meditation not something that i know particularly about but for me getting out of bed and exercising every day that's what takes me from one two out of ten mental capacity in the morning to like 10 out of 10 just instantly just like that and it's those it's that 20 minute on the bike that just we talk about cost benefit analysis just there that 20 minutes it, you get the dividends from that throughout the course Absolutely. of the day i've noticed it's like you spend 20 minutes but you become five times more efficient i don't know exactly what the ratio is but it's well worth it <laughs> let's pull things back to something we talked about a minute ago dragon's den yeah. first of all congratulations as Thank we said you. before that it was interesting to hear about the process simon that they they get in touch with you rather than the other way around so they just it's not always that way i mean you can oh. fill in an, you can fill in an application form and uh, apply for the show um i think we just got we just got lucky or whatever i see i see awesome well that must have been quite a pinch yourself moment when you got that email well as you as you said before it must a bit of a distraction from your patient one-to-one i bet the temptation to click on that email was uh yeah, <laughs> pretty high cool so they got in touch with you and then presumably there's some sort of process like where they whittle down the candidates you fill in uh, a form is that right yeah so there's a lot of due diligence um they do like really go into your accounts and all your paperwork and and, and make sure that you're a legitimate company in essence uh, and because we were a startup, only six months training, uh, uh, trading, sorry, uh, uh, we didn't really have all our ducks in a row with regards to looking for investment. <laughs> yeah. right? we, weren't, we, we weren't looking for investment at that stage. Um, the opportunity arose. And so by the, when they contacted us in August, we'd literally been trading for like three, four months. So um, there weren't big sales on the books. Um, thankfully, by September, we'd, we'd done a fair amount more. Um, but it was still sort of fairly minor stuff, like 45 grand, I think we'd done trading by that point. Um, so, so yeah, you go through due diligence. We had to record a pitch, um, which we did in Adarsh's practice. Uh, and we literally, I mean, it was a video. Normally you would do it in person, but because it was mid-pandemic, um, we had to like record it on video and like we must have done it 3,000 times. Um, <laughs> sent it in and... Uh, and yeah, I mean, the researcher, thankfully, was really, really nice. And she was very positive about us getting on the whole way through. So, um, so yeah, we found out we, we were going on. And then uh, Rona and I, uh, because of the pandemic, all three of us couldn't go on. It had to only be two of us. So uh, we decided that Rona and myself would go on. And uh, so we went up to Manchester in September. And, uh, yeah, drove up there and... Um, 
they stick you in a hotel overnight and then you go there to the studios, Granada Studios, where Coronation's film, uh, Coronation Street's film. Uh, we went there the next day and you basically sit around for like, I think we were waiting for about four hours or so. It was a baking hot day. I mean, it was 28 degrees, I think, from what I remember. Um, so we sort of penned up, like still very much mid-pandemic, so lots of social distancing things put in position. Rona and I had to sit in different green rooms because of the pandemic. Um, so yeah, it was a bit intense beforehand. Um, I uh, and then yeah, we got called in, and uh, I had chosen to wear this ridiculously thick double-breasted suit, which was a big mistake because I literally was sweating <laughs> so hard under the light. Um, but yeah, so a couple of things I think people will find interesting. Firstly, the lift's not real. Um, the, oh man, uh, I was. You know what? I was going to ask you. I was going to say, Simon, what was going through your head when you were going up on the lift? The lift's not even real. It's all smoke and mirrors. For Christ's sake! Yeah, for goodness yeah sake. So, you, so you walk in and then they shut behind you and then you walk forward. But saying that, the moment when those lift doors opened in front of me and I could see the dragons in front, like I'll never forget that moment. I, I personally watched Dragons Den literally since I was a kid. I mean, um, my mate Tom Crawford Clark, who's a dentist as well. Um, we we were students together in Bristol actually and we lived together and we used to play drinking dragons den when we were students and we would put bet, we would put bets on the uh, on the pitch and then uh, if you lost then you'd have to drink so um yeah it's it's got a, a rich heritage in my in my mind dragons den uh, <laughs> and uh, yeah that moment when it opened up in front of you and it was intense but yeah you, i mean the key thing to understand about when you're in there is we were in there for two and a half hours Wow, really? All, all, all live, um, no cuts, no breaks, under the lights, getting grilled for two hours, the two and a half hours. Um, so, yeah, it was seriously intense. And you don't get to see the edit. You don't get to see what's going on TV until it goes live to millions of people. Like I watched it for the first time alongside everyone else on BBC. Like So it was, um, yeah, it was seriously, seriously intense. But... I think, I mean, I was really happy with the way that it came across on, on TV. Um, there were some interchanges, exchanges with, uh, with Tucker that he was, he was quite negative throughout. And, and my feeling is he had a bit of a conflict in that he already had a dental company. <laughs> um, so um, he wasn't particularly keen on us. But we went in there looking for Deborah and Tej and they both gave us offers. So I was, I was thrilled with that outcome. Um, we knew that we were too small to commandeer any massive valuation. Uh, but saying that, we'd actually done a lot of prep work. We did some mock interviews with Nick Jenkins, um, who is, he used to be a dragon. He's the previous, uh, he sold moonpig.com for 120 million or something like that. Um, and um, Nick had prepped us. And we'd given him the pitch that we gave him the den. And he basically said to us, guys, the pitch is great. The valuation's bang on. Don't let them bully you around. Like, you've got a really good product here, and it's, it's a really good business. Um, and so that, I think, gave us a lot of confidence going in there. And I, and I probably wouldn't have been able to turn down the offer if I hadn't have had that sort of heart-to-heart -heart with Nick before going in there, I guess. Um, but, yeah, it was pretty wild. Well, well, yes. Well, actually, can I just say, I was I, I was going to talk about the offer. That was one thing that I wanted to bring up. And what was, you've touched upon it already, obviously, just what was going through your mind when you said no to Deborah. 
Um, but I just wanted to say one thing before we do that. You were talking about being in that room for two and a half hours. Now, the, tr the trouble is when you are a TV content editor and you've got two and a half hours, if someone says one silly thing in two and a half hours, on balance, yeah. that's not that bad, okay? <laughs> but when they edit it, they need like five minutes of footage. So they're going to pull the silly things out, okay? Now, you guys came across really well and they used, they, they, if, if, if you guys would have said something dumb or silly, they would have put that in that, that five minute, you know, content, okay? So you actually withstood that for two and a half hours and it just makes me see it from your side a lot more. And maybe it just gives me a whole new level of respect for being able to do that. It's, that's, that's really impressive, dude. Cause you, you've obviously withstood that for all that time and didn't say anything that compromised yourselves because that would have been in the show because they love that. That's what the editors are waiting for, man. That's what makes good TV. So, yeah. Absolutely. I think, I think the thing is, as I always say about public speaking, I can talk till the cows come home about anything that I'm passionate about. It comes down to this passion word again. Um, but the product, like I've lived and breathed this brand for the last, at that point, for the previous 18 months, we were doing a year's worth of development before we actually launched. So I've been living it for 18 months. I knew everything about the product. There wasn't really a question they could ask me that I wouldn't have been able to answer. Now, the one thing that always lets me down is numbers. I'm not a good numbers guy. That's Adarsh's department. Um, and so because ads wasn't in there, <laughs> I had to be the numbers guy. Um, and so I had like literally wrote, learned those numbers so, so bad. Cause I was not going to be the guy that goes in Dragon's Den and Peter Jones is like, right, tell me what your net profit is for 2023 and not know the answer or try and blag it or be like, uh, my turnover is this and my gross profit. Uh, so I, I wasn't going to be that guy. And um, so I knew the numbers inside and out. Like we built a really clever model. Uh, we've got a lot of advisors behind the scenes who have been really helpful for us. Um, so we've built some really intelligent modeling of how our finances would develop over time. Um, and uh, so, yeah, I knew that inside out. But in general, I mean, and I did say some stupid stuff, like, to be honest, there was, we were talking about hydroxyapatite, which is in our, our new Parlor Pro tablets. Um, and Deborah was asking me about, I can't remember exactly what it was, but I just said some stupid stuff that I oh, I didn't really know how to answer the question. Like they're always going to hit you with a few curveballs because that's their job number one and number two. As you say, you've got two and a half hours, so there's a lot a lot that can be thrown out during that time. But thankfully, the dragons in general were very positive. Even Peter Jones, who I thought was going to be really narky, was actually very nice. Took a Solomon was the only one that was brutal on us. Um, and as I say, I think I know the reason why that was. Um, but I think when you're passionate enough about a topic, you can answer most questions on it. And I said this to Rona the other day, I've done enough live TV now and enough podcasts and enough live answering of questions that we went on live TV the other day on um, this new news channel called GB, GB News. And I wasn't nervous at all, which given that you're going on live TV to answer questions and you don't know what those questions are, is quite intense. But I think you do get past that barrier at some point that actually, look, what are they going to ask me that I don't know about this product? Like I can answer any questions that you want down to the ingredient deck. So let's go. <laughs> it's, it's growth, man. It's growth. That's the life of an entrepreneur as well. It's uh, continual self growth and doing things that are outside living so habitually outside your comfort zone that it becomes comfortable. 
that it yeah. becomes comfortable so, in itself. So, so important. And I, and I think, as I, I, I think it was Tim Ferriss who I heard talk about this, but when you're looking at, when you're looking at a side hustle or a potential side hustle, if you've got an idea uh, or someone comes to you with an idea, if you can say to yourself, if this fails, I have made great relationships, learned a load of new, new skills, um, like had, a, had a, a, a load of new life experiences, then actually it doesn't really matter. Like if parlor folds tomorrow, will I be gutted? Absolutely. But how much have I learned from it? Like I'm, I'm now a startup fa- entrepreneur. I'm now a startup founder. Like I've never done that before. I've been on Dragon's Den. I've been on live TV. I've pitched to retailers and got into retailers and learned how to build a product from the ground up and learned about performance marketing and learned about PR and just so much, so much stuff that um, I honestly couldn't agree more that living outside of your comfort zone is the most accelerated way to grow who you are as an individual and as a business owner, even in dentistry. Like my understanding of, the inner workings of EBITDA and valuations around my practice now are so much stronger than they've ever been before. Uh, and that's as a result of Parler. So it, it, it feeds back into to all business, really. I love it. Yeah, the, the intangibles, the, the things that you may, the benefits that you don't even perceive that you're going to get before you go into it, which are huge benefits in themselves of any venture, I suppose, is uh, another way of phrasing it. And that's Something important that I've noticed as well. Simon, yeah. this has been an absolutely tremendous episode. Thank you so, so much for sharing your experiences, your journey, everything about Dragon's Den as well. I just wanted to close by asking one thing. When you said no to Deborah Meaden, how did you feel straight away? How did you feel afterwards? Were you kicking yourself? What was going through your head? Or was that something that has sat comfortably with you ever since? As it, was it, did it turn out to be the right decision? Uh, so immediately afterwards I was gutted like I, I thought we were going to leave with five offers on the table to be honest with you <laughs> um, yeah, that, that's good so, that's good so I came out very very deflated and they didn't show much of the post um, post uh, den interview that they did like we literally walked out the lift straight in front of the cameras with someone interviewing us and I, I'm really glad of that because I think I'm a very uh you wear your heart in your sleeve. Your heart in your sleeve. Whatever emotions I'm feeling, it's very, very obvious to everyone around me, for better or for worse. Like that's not. I'm not saying it's a good thing or a bad thing. It's just <laughs> it's the truth. Um, and so um, I, uh, yeah, immediately afterwards I was gutted. But uh, in answer to your question on how's it sat with me ever since, absolutely no doubt in my mind that we made the right decision. Um, we, the, I think, yeah. The, Look, we've had so many investors contact us since then. We've been growing rapidly. The, the main reason I think you want to go in Dragon's Den is to get into retailers, if, you, if that's your direction, um, and to give yourself more press. We've done incredibly with press, and we're doing incredibly with retailers. So could they have offered us so much? Absolutely. I mean, Tej makes millions of tablets a, a year. Uh, that would have been incredible for our pipeline and our, our journey moving forward. But... Um, yeah, I, I don't regret the decision at all. Well, that's the main thing, right? Yeah, absolutely. But come on, I'm going to give you some credit. That took a bit of cojones to say no there and then. 
<laughs> Rhoda would have had me say yes if you if you remember the discussion by the walls. She she was like, let's take it. And I was like, Rhodes, we're not giving away thirty percent of our business. Like hell no. <laughs> Yeah, I have to admit my memory's a little foggy. I have thirty percent of the business, and then did she, presumably she wanted uh, was it the asking price or was it less or you'll have yeah, to it, it was going to be fifteen percent each uh, for Tej and Deborah. They went on a joint deal and they wanted thirty percent of the business in total for seventy k. So it just didn't make sense. That does seem, I mean, that does seem a lot, particularly for something that's growing as much as it has. As you were yeah. saying, yeah, it's, it's TV at the end of the day. I think that's the thing. Congratulations, man! Well, on a really sincere congratulations, because it sounds like it's really going places. And you know what? When it's your baby, when it's something you've created and conceived from nothing, and now it's very successful, that that hits different. You know, that's that's really special. So you must be really proud. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm really proud of where we've got to. And as I say, I'm, I'm proud of the mission of the brand. Like it is very much a purpose-driven brand. People may not believe that. They might think that we're in it for the financial gain, but genuinely, like, it's really nice to know that the more this brand grows, it genuinely will have a massive impact on the whole planet and on all the people that live on it. And that's a really nice, it's a really nice feeling to have that, um, that we can actually make a difference with it. What a lovely way to round up this episode, Simon. It's been an absolute pleasure. Can I just say that I've had a lot of fun hosting this. Hopefully you've had a lot of fun appearing as a guest and hopefully everybody who's listened has had as much fun as we have uh, having this conversation today about Parla and Simon's recent appearance on Dragon's Den. For anybody listening to this podcast who isn't a member of my Facebook community already, Facebook community, which goes by the same name of this podcast, Dentists Who Invest, a community group for dentists who enjoy trading. Feel free to hit that up. We do podcasts every single week on a different aspect of finance with a focus on the dental community. Plugging that gap between the knowledge that we should have got at university and what the real world requires. We're kind of somewhere in between filling in that information and bringing everybody up to speed on how they can better manage their finances. Simon, you, a little bit about Parla. Uh, is that available to dentists? Is that something that we can buy and stock in our practices? Or how does that work? Or is it just in the shop or online at the moment? No, absolutely. We, uh, we have um, wholesale prices for dental practices. Um, so you can sell it in your practice. Uh, we also now have some little four tablet compostable samples, uh, which you can have to, to give patients out to try out. And we're also working on um, on creating sort of an ambassador uh, pro. Well, we already have an ambassador program um, to uh, allow you to benefit from your patients subscribing to the product as well. So uh, if anyone's interested, just email um, hello at parlortoothpastetabs.com um, and uh, we can give you all the information on that. And uh, yeah, hopefully you can hope, help us grow this um, this mission further. Uh, and I think it's a nice conversation to have with your patients as well, that you're, you're looking to uh, be more ethical, be more eco within the practice. Like we all need to work hard within our clinics to reduce our plastic waste. There's certain things we have no control over, like sterile bagging of, of things for, for hygiene reasons. But there are things that we can do to uh, reduce how much single use plastic we're using because it doesn't go away. Once you throw it in the bin, if it was all kept in your clinic, then you would think very differently about it. <laughs> Awesome. What a great cause. Simon, as I said a minute ago, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. I hope you've had an absolute blast. It's been wonderful, mate. Wonderful. <laughs> awesome. Simon, a genuine pleasure to meet you, my friend. 
Um, I hope that, yeah, uh, well, it's been great to have this conversation. Very good to meet you face to face finally, because we have spoke a few times on Facebook. Thank you so much for giving up your time today on behalf of myself and on behalf of the listeners. We're going to draw a line under everything now and let you get off and enjoy the rest of your day. It's been an absolute pleasure, my friend. We shall speak again very, very soon. Thanks for having me. If you enjoyed this podcast, please hit follow or subscribe so you can stay up to date with information on new podcasts which are released weekly. Please also feel free to leave a positive review so others can learn about this podcast and benefit from it. I would also encourage any fans of the podcast to sign up to the free Facebook community from which the podcast originated. Please search Dentists Who Invest on Facebook and hit join to become part of a community of thousands of other dentists interested in improving their finances, well-being and investing knowledge. Looking forward to seeing you on there.